Good morning, everybody. This morning, we are going to continue our series on discipleship and the impact that being a disciple of Jesus has on our attitude and handling of money. The doors are locked. You can't get out. It's not a subject that we often preach on, and there are several reasons for that. We're part of a very generous church family. God has always provided for the needs that we've had as a church, even enabling us to set up new initiatives in the middle of the pandemic when many churches and charities were really struggling. So we're not tackling this subject because we want the monthly income of the church to increase. It's a sensitive subject and as a church leader, I never want people to feel manipulated into giving. I've seen this, it's ugly, ungodly and controlling. But the Bible has a lot to say about money and related topics of wealth, greed, generosity and giving. There's also a link in scriptures between our financial decisions and God's blessings. There are over 2,000 verses in the Bible about money. Interesting, there are twice as many Bible verses about money than faith and prayer combined. So what the Bible says about money must be important and we would be remiss as church leaders if we didn't spend time teaching on it. We need to get over our sensitivity and actually allow God's word to minister to our hearts. So this morning we're going to look at several key passages related to this topic and I would encourage each one of us to study this for ourselves and ask the Holy Spirit to bring us revelation and real practical guidance on how he wants us to handle our money. That's what brought breakthrough in my life regarding handling money in this in this area but more of that later I'll share a little bit from my own story. Before we launch into this I just want to ask us all to ponder one question. When was the last time we prayed over our finances and asked God how he wanted us to apportion our income? When was the last time that we prayed over our finances and asked God how he wanted us to apportion our income. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your presence with us. And I ask Holy Spirit now that you would give us sensitive hearts to hear what you are saying to us this morning. To not shut off or shut down but to allow you, Lord God, to speak to us. Father, everything we have is a gift from you. Everything we have is a gift from you. And I pray where we need to realign our priorities today and in these coming days, you would give us the courage to do that. In Jesus' name. Amen. As I was preparing for this, there were two words that the Lord laid on my heart very strongly. Trust and obedience. Trust and obedience. And I think they are so key with so many of the major decisions that we make in our lives, but particularly around finance. And I think that the way that we handle money is a really um, 
powerful indicator of how much of her heart Jesus has. It's a, it's a really good measure how much of our heart Jesus has, how we handle our money. A few quotes. Um, Francis Bacon says this, money is like muck, not good except it be spread. Billy Graham said this, if a person gets his attitude towards money straight, it will help straighten out almost every other area in his life. A guy called John Haggie said this, since my money is God's money, every spending decision I make is a spiritual decision. Wow. Wow, that's quite a powerful one. And then Andrew Murray, not the tennis player Andrew Murray, but the other Andrew Murray. The world says, what does a man own? Christ says, how does he use it? Now let's look at some of the words of Jesus. These are from the Sermon on the Mount. Very, very famous words to many of us. Matthew 6, and I'm going to read verses 19 to 27. And it's um, headed in my Bible, lay up treasures in heaven. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Well, Jesus didn't mince his words, did he? It's interesting, verses 22 to 23, those verses that talk about the eye is the lamp of the body. And if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. <clears throat> Excuse me. It almost seems like Jesus has lost the thread a little bit and gone off at a tangent. But verse 22 is directly connected to verse 21. So verse 21 says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And then it says, The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. If our spiritual eyes are focused on the right things, we will see things in the right way. This is what Jesus is saying. But if our eyes and intentions are focused on money, then actually we are spiritually blinded. Spiritually blinded if we're looking at money in the wrong way. For me, the key pivotal verse in that passage is verse 21. And it says this, For where your treasure is, there your heart, your wishes, your desires, that on which your life centers will be also, that's from the Amplified Translation. I'll read that again. For where your treasure is, there your heart, your wishes, your desires, that on which your life centers will be also. So the question to all of us is, does the love of money have a higher priority in our life than our love for God? You see, money is neutral. It's a thing. It's neither good or bad. 
It's the position that it holds in our hearts that is the key and the decisions that we then make about how we use our money that are good or bad, wise or foolish. Money itself is neutral. Think of a, of a knife. A knife can be used for good things, for food preparation, for cutting cakes, but in the wrong hands it, became, it can be used to maim and kill. The knife isn't inherently good or bad, but it's the motive behind its use that is good or bad. And it's the same with money. We live in one of the richest countries in the world. We live, this is true, we live in a very materialistic part of the world. People's success is largely judged by what they own, where they live, the car they drive, the clothes they wear, the holidays they have, etc, etc, etc. That is not a kingdom measuring rod. Those are false scales of worth and success. There's an incident in the Gospels when Jesus meets a rich young ruler. He has made it in the eyes of the world. He has everything to live for in the eyes of the world. And this is the conversation that Jesus has with him. And I'm reading from Mark 10, verses 17 to 27. As he was setting out on his journey, a man, that's Jesus was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honour your father and mother. And he said to them, teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have, give to the poor, you will have treasure in heaven and come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, then who can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, with man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. What a strange image, a camel going through the eye of a needle. Now one um, explanation of that is that there was a narrow gateway in Jerusalem, into Jerusalem, called the eye of the needle. Now, camels were generally used to carry goods, so they would have been heavy, heavily laden or they would have been carrying people. So again, heavily laden. But to get through this gateway, the eye of the needle, they would have to be um, unloaded and on their knees to pass through. And the analogy is therefore that this rich man would have to similarly unload 
all his material possessions and be on his knees, acknowledging the Lordship of Jesus before he could enter into the kingdom of heaven. He needed to disentangle his heart from his riches. What a powerful picture for us. In this man's life, his possessions mastered him. He wasn't master over them. When Jesus said, go sell all you have to the poor, he wasn't saying it to be mean to him. He was saying it because he knew what had that man's heart. And yet that man was had, had obeyed all of the laws, but he knew there was more. He knew there was more. But in this narrative, it doesn't appear he was prepared to pay that cost. I think in these days, it's even more essential that we get our priorities with our finances right. We can trust God with our finances, no matter what is happening with the economy. When we put God first in our finances, we release the blessing of heaven. When we trust him with our finances, it unlocks kingdom blessings. Let me read Malachi 3 verses 8 to 10. Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions, you are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I do not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all the nations will call you blessed for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. This is the only scripture that I'm aware of when God says, test me in this. Many scriptures say, don't put the Lord your God to the test. But this one is saying, do you trust me enough to obey me regarding your finances? See what I will do when you do that. So let's talk about tithing briefly. If you haven't come across this terminology before, basically it's the discipline of giving a tenth of our income to God. Before the law... Abraham had been out fighting a battle and he had been victorious and there was a lot of um, plunder from the battle and he met Melchizedek, which basically is a representation of Jesus after he'd won this battle um, to free his nephew Lot. And out of his gratitude to God, he gave a tenth of what he had to Melchizedek the priest. You can find that in Genesis 14. Fast forward to Jacob at Bethel in Genesis 28. He gave a tenth of all God had given him. He gave a tenth back to God. Now, these expressions or this principle of giving came out of gratitude. Nobody had told Abraham or Jacob to do those things. They did it out of gratitude for what God had done in their lives. And if we move forward to Numbers 18, 
when the tithe um, first became mentioned in the book of the law, that was the first time it was that it was then, you know, God said, you should give me a tithe. So my understanding is that the principle of tithing is pre the law, but it was then included into the law. The initial tithe was a heart response from Abraham and Jacob out of their love, thankfulness and worship to God. But then it was um, enshrined, if you like, in the law. It's interesting on the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus addresses each of the Ten Commandments. And the expectation is that through his grace, we live even higher than the law. If we if we just look at, you know, one of the Ten Commandments, commandments is do not commit adultery. But Jesus says, don't even look at a woman with lustful intent. It's a higher level, a higher level. In the Ten Commandments, it says, do not murder. But Jesus says, don't even be angry with your brother. It's a higher requirement because of the grace that he will give us. So why should there be any difference with our finances? I've heard it said that I don't need to tithe because I'm not under the law. And I would say, absolutely. So how much more than 10% are you giving? It's a bit cheeky. But I'm just applying scripture in the other areas of the law. Jesus is saying, live higher, live higher, live higher. We started to tithe many, many years ago. And um, there's been sacrifice, but there's also been huge blessing. Now, we had both had different upbringings and had different attitudes to money, Um, I was raised in a household where there was a a lot of fear of not having enough. So giving out of my excess was fine, but giving sacrificially the first portion of my income was actually a real battle for me. And it was a battle for me, but I did it. Um, But I wasn't a cheerful giver. And um, I would sit there and try and work out what could we have done with that money if we hadn't given it away. So it was a it was a it was a constant, constant battle until I realized that it was seed that I was sowing. So then my expectation was actually, as I've sowed this seed, I can be confident. I can trust and obey that God will meet our needs as a family and we will be able to be generous on all occasions. And it didn't happen overnight. It was a journey over years, which involved me throwing my toys out of the proverbial pram on many occasions. But, but, but God was so gracious with me and dealt with my self-sufficient poverty mindset. He enabled me to understand that giving is part of my worship to him. Giving sometimes is a very costly part of my worship to him. Giving is a response to the blessing that he showered upon me. And giving opens up the door for others to experience the goodness of God. And I believe many of the blessings we've seen within our family are because we've not held back with our finances. 2 Corinthians 9, 6-15 says this, The point is this, Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly 
or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the passing grace of God upon you, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. What powerful words Paul was speaking over the whole area of finance. What Andy and I have learned in our personal finances, we now apply to the finances of Revival Church Billericay. And maybe that's why it was such a battle. Because the enemy knew what he wanted to do with the enemy knew what, what would be the fruit of the finances of this church and he was trying to stop that in in kind of not aligning my heart in the right in the right way. One of the values for us as a church is generosity and we give away over 20% of our income every month. That's to our network, to my Oz, which specifically blesses Israel, to schools ministry in Bidariki, open doors and Christian concern, as well as many one-off gifts. We've got testimony of God providing during really difficult times, we've been able to set up the relief fund and we've been able to set up baby basics. With God, it is impossible. Sorry, with man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. He changed my heart and I'm still learning to trust him with our finances. But God is good and God is faithful. At the end of Philippians, Paul is thanking the church for their generous gift to him. And he says this, Philippians 4, 18 to 19. At the moment, I have all I need and more. I am generously supplied with the gifts you sent me. They are a sweet smelling sacrifice that is acceptable and pleasing to God. And this same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. That passage is in the context of giving and knowing that therefore we can trust God to meet our needs. As we're obedient in what he's asking us to do, we can trust him that he will meet our needs. So as I draw this to a close, I sense there's a challenge that the Lord wants us to do in the coming weeks. I'd encourage you to set aside some intentional time to pray and hand over your finances to the Lord. If you're a married couple, 
and you're both believers, I would encourage you to do that together. Sometimes those money conversations in marriage can be really divisive. And if you're not in a uh, marriage with a, uh, another believer, pray that God will give you wisdom and sensitivity in how you handle this. He says, you know, just encourage you to, to lay down, uh, to lay your finances down before the Lord, to study scripture and ask him how he wants you to apportion your financial resources. I believe that the turbulent financial times that we're living in, this is the perfect time to get our finances lined up with kingdom principles and then watch what God does. Let me pray for us. Father, I want to thank you for the truth of your word. I want to thank you, Lord God, that you call us higher than the law. You call us to trust you and to obey you. And I pray for each one of us, Lord God, over our finances, that we would make good and godly decisions so that we do unleash the blessings of heaven over us and our families over our spheres of influence. And I want to pray, Lord God, for wisdom in the management of our personal finances, but also in the finances of this church, that we would be fruitful in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.